We are into a series, in fact, we're wrapping it up today, called Created for Significance. Created for Significance. And uh, in, in this uh, series, uh, I hope that you have been able to grab something from it, um, something that helps you understand the ultimate truth that you have been created by the master creator and that he has created you for something significant. Paul said it like this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And that verse is individualistic and what I mean by that is it covers everybody it covers all of you all of you are created by God with something significant to do but on this day I think that most of you who maybe got a little teary-eyed at that video or realized how quickly time goes by or have experienced being a mom you know the importance and the significance of that. And uh, so today, we're going to kind of address our message to moms. Even though I think that the shotgun blast of it will kind of cover everyone, we're going to direct what we say today to those of you that are celebrating Mother's Day. Uh, two kids ordered their mom to stay in bed on Mother's Day. Um, they said, you just stay there. Uh, when morning comes, don't get up and worry about things. And so she lay there looking forward to breakfast that after a few minutes, she could actually smell the bacon and the eggs. You know how that smell kind of drifts up the stairs? She could smell that. But after a long period of time, no one had brought her anything. And so finally she went downstairs only to have the kids exclaim, Happy Mother's Day. We thought we'd make our own breakfast today. <laughs> Uh, that maybe speaks of motherhood for you, right? Um, the unappreciated sometimes. Uh, but uh, I, I am aware of a couple things as we go into today's message, all right? And I want you to be, I want you to be mindful of this. I'm, I'm aware that for some of you, um, Mother's Day is not the easiest day of the year. Uh, maybe some of you want to be a mom, but for one reason or another, that hasn't worked out. Some of you may have not had the best mom in the world. And so for you, celebrating Mother's Day is a little difficult because there's just not that relationship there. Um, of course, some of you are, uh, are, are flying solo in motherhood. And, and sometimes you, you kind of feel like, man, you're doing this on your own. And then, of course, there are others of you who have lost your mom. Uh, over the course of time. And, and, and I guess I would say that uh, while we can't go back, we can press forward, and, and, and God wants us to do that. And, and I would say to those of you who today who, who hurt because you've lost a mom, um, if you still experience a little bit of that hurt, and I've had to share this way too many times in the past few weeks, actually, but if you're experiencing hurt and grief when we lose a loved one, two things. Number one, we didn't lose them, okay? You've lost someone when you don't know where they are, all right? Keep that in mind. If you know today that they knew Christ as their personal Savior, then you know where they are. 
I had someone come up to me after my dad passed and say, remember when those waves of grief come, just try to think about what they might be doing right now. And, and I would encourage you to do that with, with your moms. But the second thing is, if, if you are experiencing a little bit of that tug on a Mother's Day, realize what an incredible blessing that is. Because there are a ton of people, right? You know this. A ton of people who don't experience that. Who've never experienced that relationship with their mom. And so, even in the midst of today being a little difficult, thank God for the mom that you had. And thank God for the memories that you have and for what she instilled in you. In that you would even today still grieve her being away from you for a time. That is actually a blessing in disguise. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit as far as legacies that are left. But, but before I do that, I, I just want to share with you some statistics that I came across. Um, and this is kind of interesting. Uh, by a time a child reaches 18 years of age, a mom has had to handle some extra 18,000 hours of child-generated work. Let me say that to you again. By the time a child reaches 18, a mother has had to handle some extra 18,000 hours of child-generated work. Did you hear about the dad who was going through the wedding album for the first time with his young daughter and showing the pictures and explaining, you know, the wedding and all that kind of thing? And finally the daughter said, so this is when we hired mom. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there was a middle school teacher who was teaching uh, in science class, and, and, and he was teaching on magnets, okay? He was teaching his middle school class about magnets and all of the principles that went with magnetism and all that kind of thing. So the next day, he gave him a pop quiz. And the first question on the pop quiz said, uh, my name begins with the letter M. It has six letters, and I pick things up. Half the class wrote mother. <laughs> so, and how could he get it wrong, right? There's no way he could mark that wrong because he's like, yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Magnets and moms. Pick things up. That's what we do. But here's the question, moms. What kind of mom are you, okay? What kind of mom are you? Did you know there are various descriptions of moms? I think you've probably heard this on the news and on the Today Show and other shows like that. First of all, is it possible that you are a tiger mom? Huh? Are you a tiger mom? This is a form of strict or demanding parenting. Tiger moms push and pressure their children to attain high levels of academic achievement or success in high-status extracurricular activities such as music and using authoritarian parenting methods. Tiger mom. Rawr. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how many of you would say, yeah, that's me. Uh, there's another kind of mom, okay? An elephant mom. Did you know that? There's an elephant mom. Elephant mom are moms who believe they need to nurture, protect, and encourage their children, especially when they are still impressionable and very, very young. Those are elephant mom. Everybody say, aw. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And then, here's another one. This one is not necessarily named after an animal, not quite as cute, but this is the helicopter mom, okay? You've probably heard this term, right? 
A helicopter mom is a parent who pays extremely close attention to a child or a child's experiences and problems, particularly at educational institutions, okay? We have some people here who have worked or are working in the school system, and they could probably go through the list and go, yep, helicopter, helicopter, helicopter. <laughs> they know who the helicopter moms are. Helicopter parents are named because like helicopters, they hover overhead, overseeing every aspect of their child's life constantly. So many different types of moms. So I, I, I was trying to think in my own life, how do I describe my mom? What kind of a mom was, is my mom? Tiger mom, elephant mom, helicopter mom, none of those applied. And finally, I came up with my own term. Ready? It's called Macy's mom, okay? My mom is a Macy's mom, and, and, and there's a definition for it, in case you were wondering. Uh, Macy's moms are those who teach their children there are always bargains to be had at the mall. Never pay full price for anything. Shop wisely and often. It is the answer to most of life's problems. Okay, that is, that's a Macy's mom, and uh, and that's that's my mom. And if you're wondering, yes, when she is here next service, I will be sharing that definition in the service. But uh, anyways, you know, I don't know what kind of a mom you are. And and here's the thing: probably the best moms, combination of all of those, right? A little combination of everything, would be the best. Mom, but I want to talk to you today about some moms in Scripture. There are some great ones, uh, and, and we could make up a whole message just taking one of these ladies, uh, Jochebed, Moses' mom, who, who, who sent him down the river in a basket in order to save his life, and then wound up helping to raise him for Pharaoh's daughter who found him, and in so doing, she taught him the Hebrew ways that he never forgot, and he would, of course, ultimately lead the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt. Jacobet, she's a great mom. Another great mom in the Old Testament is Hannah. Hannah's a great mom. She prayed and prayed and prayed for a son. And, and promised God that if God would give her a son, she would give him back to God. And he would answer that prayer with a little guy by the name of Samuel, who he would call at a very young age into his service. And, and Samuel would serve at the temple, and ultimately Samuel would anoint the first two kings of the nation of Israel, including a guy by the name of David. That was Samuel. His mom was Hannah. You know, another interesting mom is, is, is a mom by the name of Rachel. Now, Rachel, uh, she, she was a, a woman with a reputation um, who, who proved you can overcome the past. And she gave birth to a a little boy by the name of Boaz who would grow up and marry a young lady by the name of Ruth, and their love story would be shared in letter form throughout the Old Testament. She would become actually the great-grandmother of that King David that Samuel would anoint. 
And she would be part of the Ancestry.com of Jesus that was written in Matthew chapter 1. But today, I actually want us to kind of pinpoint a couple of moms that are mentioned in the New Testament. And if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, of course, if you don't have a Bible, you can download one even right here. Uh, just go to uversion.com. I would encourage you to have one uh, on, your phone, on your tablet, whatever you take with you, so that when you wind up in places where you are stuck for a little bit, you can use that to your advantage and get into God's Word. But today we're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, and I want to read this for you. This is Paul, and, and here's the deal. This is Paul's last letter. This is it. It's the last book he wrote in the New Testament before he would give his life. For the cause of Christ. And he wrote it to his young spiritual son, Timothy. He says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. The faith that is in you, Timothy, started in your grandmother, Lois and your mother, Eunice. I think it's interesting that while numerous grandmothers are mentioned in Scripture, the only time the term grandmother is used is in this passage. And Paul remembers a grandma named Lois and a mom named Eunice, and he thanks God for them and for the difference they made in Timothy's life. So let me give you three things today, moms, actually all of us, but specifically moms, three things that you want to make sure that you experience with your children. First one is this, introduce your children to God's son. Introduce your children to God's Son. Introduce your kids to Jesus. Give them every opportunity early on to know Him, to trust Him, to put their faith in Him. It is awesome that you have a relationship with Christ, but you understand that there is no coattails that lead into heaven. It is personal, the decision that we make to trust Christ. And at some point, everyone needs to do that. And that's why it is so important that parents, that moms, introduce their children to Jesus Christ. Lois, in the Bible, means agreeable. And she appears to have lived up to that name. She definitely made an impact on the Apostle Paul. And he praises her in this second letter to Timothy. She is one that passes on the mantle of faith to her grandson. She was a devout Jewess. 
who had obviously instructed her daughter and her grandson in Old Testament scripture. The scripture is silent on her husband. However, she lived in a Grecian city and she gave her daughter a Greek name. And so therefore it's probable that she married a Greek man. Eunice, mom, actually is a Greek name and it is derived, are you ready for this? It's derived from the name Nike, the Greek goddess of victory. That's where she gets her name from. And in fact, her name, Eunice, means conquering well. In Acts chapter 14, and we won't take the time to get in there and dig into it, but man, Acts is so filled with the history of how we got here, actually. I mean, so much of the foundation of the fact that we are here 2,000 years later was built in the book of Acts. And Luke is the one that records that for us. And Luke, of course, knew Paul personally, and so he was able to get firsthand accounts of what happened, and in fact, at times, traveled with Paul. But Paul, when he first gets saved, he winds up with a guy by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas is the encourager. Barnabas is the one who brings him before the disciples and says, it's okay. I know this guy used to be a, a murdering madman for, for Christians and, and trying to obliterate the work of Christ, but trust me, he's good. There's been a change. There's been a difference made. He has trusted Christ as his Savior. And Barnabas comes along, and so they say, hey, you know what? Why don't you two take the first missionary journey? And they do that, and they wind up going to Lystra, and Lystra is where Lois and Eunice and Timothy lived. And so they go to Lystra, and, and he goes there to preach with, with Barnabas, and things work out in, in the course of time, and they do some kind of supernatural things. And at, at one point, the people think that they are gods, okay? Which is like, okay, we didn't get taught how to do this in seminary. How do we reverse this? They reverse it in such a way that at some point they take Paul outside of the city to stone him, okay? So they're like ready now to put him to death, but God miraculously heals him, takes care of him, saves him even though they've left him to die. He gets up, walks back into the city, continues sharing Christ. At some point in that trip, Lois, Eunice, and Timothy figured out what's going on and trusted Christ as their personal Savior. Suddenly, everything that they had read in the Old Testament made sense, and they put their faith in Christ on that very first visit. They were all converted to the Christian faith. And, and there is no doubt that their devout Jewish faith and their understanding of Old Testament scripture led them to be prepared for the message of Paul and Barnabas. And they responded. And then they introduced that same Jesus to a young Timothy. To make sure that you are giving your kids every opportunity to trust Christ. Listen to me. Listen to me. And I'm not trying to, uh, I don't know, just listen to me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man. How many men? None. No man gets to the Father except by me. And somehow, some way, we are beginning to raise a culture that says, well, there's a lot of ways. If there's a lot of ways, then Jesus was a liar. Then Jesus is not who he says he is. And Jesus is the one who said 2,000 years ago, listen, wide, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life everlasting. And it goes by way of the cross of Calvary. You will not get to heaven because you are a good person. Can I say that again? You will not, and you say, well, Billy, maybe you're wrong. You know what? Maybe I am. But can I tell you something? I've staked my life on that fact. I have staked my life on the fact that Christ is who he says he is. You know what? Forget, I'm getting away from mothers here. Forgive me for just a moment, right? I kind of leap into <laughs> evangelistically speaking. But forget Jesus, okay? Just set Jesus aside and look at his disciples. What happened when they came to the garden to arrest Jesus? They all vanished, right? They left. They were scared, and they were hidden in an upper room with the blinds closed and the doors shut and locked, afraid of anyone who passed by, afraid of any noise on the street, afraid of any commotion, thinking they were next. But not just the Bible. History records the fact that each of them, except one, gave their life in a terrible manner. I mean, Peter was crucified upside down. That's history. This is not the Bible. That's history. James was pushed off the Temple Mount to his death. And you want to know all they had to do, all they had to do in order to live was to say, okay, 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 you win. Oh, it's not true. But they couldn't. Why? Because they'd seen him. And here we are 2,000 years later and over a billion people will worship today in one form or another the name of Jesus because of that ragtag little group of disciples who were scared of their own shadow. Moms, introduce your kids to Jesus. Show them Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. He is the way, the truth, the life. And it doesn't get any better. Next, next series, this next series that we start next Sunday, we're going to talk about next steps. And we're going to be going over what are the next steps for those who have put their trust in Christ. And for some, maybe that is the next step. But we have seen nearly 60 people in the past year come to know Christ as their personal Savior in one form or another, at one service or another. And that does not include, by the way, homegoing celebrations that we've had in the past year, where we have given an invitation at every one and seen people raise their hand to accept Christ. But what's the next step after that? Where, where do we go with that? And so we're going to be talking about that, and I'm excited for that series to begin. But man, it starts, it starts at home. Moms, tell your kids about Jesus. Put them 
in a place where they can hear about him. Second thing is this, instruct your children in God's word. Introduce your children to God's son. Instruct your children in God's word. Listen to what it says, what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. So a couple chapters later. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Did you catch that? Continue in what you've learned. And you've become convinced of. Why? Because you read it? No. Because of who you heard it from. Your grandma and your mom. They're the ones that gave it to you. They're the ones that instilled it in you. They're the ones that shared it with you. Instruct your children in God's word. Timothy not only learned these things cognitively, he made a practice of owning what they had him learn. And he became convinced of its truthfulness. At some point, right? No matter who you are, no matter how, at some point, if you were raised by godly parents who introduced you to Christ, who, who moved you in that direction, at some point, mom's faith, dad's faith had to become what? Your faith, right? And so at some point, what, what Lois and what Eunice are sharing and saying, it has to become Timothy's. He can't live anymore on what mom and grandma have provided. But because they've provided it, he is able to internalize in his head and in his heart because not only had he heard it, he saw it. He saw it in his grandma and in his mom and in Paul himself. The next verse says this, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It was the early spiritual education of Timothy from his grandmother and his mother that helped prepare him for his own acceptance of Christ. It was the sharing of that scripture that made a difference. How could he be introduced to Jesus? <laughs> it was the next step because he had been instructed in God's word. Moms, what an incredible opportunity you have. And the tools that moms have today are so much greater, right? Then I mean, I, I, remember, yeah, I remember my first Bible, my first Bible stories, that kind of thing. It was this thick book, you know? And like every two, three pages, there'd be a picture. <laughs> Nowadays, man, you can get so many different variations of God's Word, and you can begin instructing them and sharing with them. Don't stop sharing anything else with them, okay? I, I'm, I'm all for Okay, I was just at Disney World, okay? I love Disney World. I mean, I go to Disney World, and for at least a few moments, I kind of just think, eh, maybe this is what the millennium will be like. It's just, it's an awesome place, you know, whizzing around on a monorail. So don't hesitate. Teach them Mickey Mouse and Donald and Minnie and Goofy and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. But don't neglect teaching them 
the stories and the characters of the Bible. Share with them God's word, even at an early age. Why? Because it will take root and it will grow. These two moms had God's word in their hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, way back at the beginning, as God is giving instructions to the children of Israel as to how they should live, listen to what he says, hear, O Israel, this is Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Share with them God's word in a way that is understandable and acceptable but share with them God's word. Put them in position to hear God's word. These moms, this mom, this grandma, they internalized Deuteronomy chapter 6. And they were like, we are not going to let Timothy grow up without an understanding. And listen, he's in a totally different culture. He's, he's in a city that worshipped Greek gods. I mean, even his mom is named after a Greek goddess, right? So he, he's, he's not, you know, outside of the culture. He's inside the culture. But he's learning the truths of God, God's word and, and scripture, which will help him stand in the midst of the culture. Some, sometime we're going to do a, a sermon or a series on um, being in the world and not of the world. And, and sometimes people have kind of twisted that around. And unfortunately, I think that there are some within the church of Jesus who have thought we just need to come together and hunker down until, you know, Jesus comes and gets us. It's that Cracker Barrel mentality where we just kind of rock our way to heaven on a, a rocking chair on the Cracker Barrel porch. And, and then at some point Jesus comes and everything's cool. And, and, uh, and, and we just kind of, you know, uh, if we can just be together and, and you know, we'll as soon as that's socially acceptable and, and uh, you know, love each other and then just kind of, you know, we could stand together. And No, no, no. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus was, um, he, he was in the world, right? I mean, the first party that he went to included Matthew and a bunch of tax collectors and other sinners is what Scripture says. And that's where he was. And the Pharisees were outside because they didn't dare go in Matthew's house. I was like, what, what's he doing in there? And Jesus knowing what they're thinking, yells out, uh, I didn't come for those who are well, and I know you think you're all well, so no need for me to talk to you. I'm here for those that are sick. At which point, I'm sure Matthew and his friends are like, is that us? Are we sick? Anyways, we're all sick, and we need Jesus. But we need to understand, never mind, we'll get there. I'm going to do a series on it, because we need to understand that we're not supposed to, like, I I'm not saying you, you take your child completely out of the world. No, you prepare your child to be in the world and be light and salt for Jesus Christ. That's the awesome challenge, but also the awesome opportunity that we have. So, here's a question, moms, actually to everybody. J just as important, maybe, as what type of 
mom are you? What, what type of worldview do you have? What type of worldview do you have? You have one. Everybody has a worldview. Sometimes it can be kind of a selfish, humanistic worldview that everything revolves around the person. Um, there's all kinds of world, educational worldview where everything revolves around education, financial worldview where everything revolves around finance, uh, success. What about a biblical worldview? How do we raise a generation to have a biblical worldview? And I know, I know that some of you, you wouldn't say this out loud, but in your heart you're going, well, that's your job, right? <laughs> nope. No, that's why Deuteronomy says, impress this upon your children. It starts at home. Oh, the church, yeah, comes along to help and to aid. And, and in some cases, let's be honest, the church has to do what parents have not done, right? Because they're not, but, but man, the best thing is for you to understand that there is a worldview that is based on God and his word, and that is taught, not caught. Can I say that to you again? A biblical worldview is taught, not caught. They knew that in order for Timothy to be, to be significant, he had to see that there was something bigger than himself. And they taught that to him through Scripture. And they told him the stories of Adam and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and his brothers, Moses, Joshua, Ruth, Solomon, David, Jonah, they gave him as much preparation as they could for him to take the next step. And then the last point is this, instill in your children God-pleasing faith. Instill in your children God-pleasing faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in you. This is from the King James Version, that first verse there. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it is in you also. When you read the book of 2 Timothy, when you read that first chapter, I believe, my opinion, is that Paul has gotten wind of the fact that Timothy is facing some strong discouragement. At this point in time, when Paul writes this, he is a pastor at the church of Ephesus. And what started out gangbusters has now grown to be a weary work. And I think that Timothy is facing some pretty strong discouragement and maybe, maybe even Timothy's experiencing some depression. Paul tells him, I am constantly in prayer for you. I am reminded of your tears. I know that you are crying yourself to sleep at night. And in this verse, he says, Timothy, I know the faith that was in grandma. I know the faith that was in your mom. And I am persuaded, Timothy, 
that down deep, somewhere in there, Timothy, that faith is there. That faith is there. And then he says, a couple verses later, you just got to stir it up, bud. You got to stir it up. You've let the soup sit on the stove too long. And, and that, you, you know what happens, right? You get that kind of film going across it. You, you got to stir it up in order to make it good again. He says, Timothy, you got to do that with the gifts. And listen, I know that what was in your grandma, and I know that what was in your mom, it's in you. I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded. Acts chapter 16, verse 1, Luke says that when Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, there was a young disciple named Timothy. Luke is the author of Acts, and he could have described Timothy any way he wanted. He, he could have called him a, a, a Christian, could have called him a follower of Christ, a believer, but instead he says a young disciple. He knows what he's doing when he gives it that term. There was a devotion there to the name and cause of Christ. And Paul saw that and took him by his side. And Timothy was able to go with Paul on numerous trips, on a number of evangelistic crusades. He was there. He watched. He saw. He learned. And eventually, he decides, I'm going to stay here in Ephesus and be a pastor. And now, 20 years or so has passed, just so you understand the timeline. 20 years has passed since Paul made his first journey to Lystra and met Lois, Eunice, Timothy. He's seen, he's watched, and he's had numerous conversations with a young Timothy about his grandma and about his mom. And now maybe Timothy is struggling a bit with his faith, with his direction, with his future. Listen, some of you moms, you get that, don't you? Because that's your kids. Isn't it kind of cool to see that Timothy had that same experience? Timothy went through that same experience. Lois and, and Eunice, there's probably a time when they were a bit concerned if, if Timothy was going to make it in the ministry, if he was going to stick it out and stay with it. He did. And he says, Timothy, don't forget what your grandma and your mom have taught you. In fact, they have instilled it in you. Do you know the definition of instill? Gradual, gentle imparting of knowledge over a long period of time. Gradual, gentle imparting of knowledge over a long period of time. Those of you that are moms, you know it's not a sprint, is it? It's a marathon. It's a marathon. As I was thinking about this message, uh, I was reminded of the own, my own moms, so to speak. The people that I call mom or grandma, 
I speak a lot about my dad. <clears throat> I don't know when that'll stop. I've told my wife every once in a while, if it gets to be too much, just tell me so I can pull back a little bit. But love my dad. I speak a lot about my grandpa. He's the dude that started this place. Just uh, the story, the history of how he got here, why he did it. Incredible faith. So much more faith than it took to do this. I mean, just extraordinary. And I'm named after them. In fact, in fact, just a few days ago, because my, I, I received Ancestry.com a couple years for Christmas, and I did, they did the international version, you know, and, and on April 20th in 1821, the first William Walker was born, April 20th, 1821, and I'm the end. <laughs> I mean, unless there's like an Abraham and Sarah moment, it ain't happening, okay? <laughs> We're stopping with Whitney and Kaylee. Um, but uh, so, so, so it is, that's, that's my legacy. That's my, and, and I talk about that. I speak about that. I, I don't talk very often about mom or grandma, but the truth is I am fortunate in that words could be written to me. Um, my mother-in-law, she comes here now. She'll be here for the second service. Man, when I think of how often we corralled her into watching the girls when we would hit the road and all the things that she had to put up with, <clears throat> and, and then when it wasn't watching the girls, you know, somehow Lori would corral her into watching the dogs. And... Uh, um, and, and, and so much of it, you know, we had to be gone. We were, we were on the road. We were singing here, singing there, gone for these many days. And a lot of times the girls would go with us, but a lot of time they couldn't because of school. And I can't even imagine life without what she did. Uh, my grandma Harris. Do I have pictures of these people? I do. That lady right there next to my mom, that's Grandma Harris. If she makes it another three weeks, she'll be 101. And if she'll give me just uh, about uh, 14 days, I'm going to go with my mom and take her down there to see her. She hasn't seen her in, since before all this started, and she can now. And so we've arranged for a visit. Um, so in a couple weeks, we're going we're gonna to head down there and see my grandma. She kind of comes and goes a little bit at 101, you know, you can give her that leeway, I guess. But mom said, I'm kind of anxious to see her face when you walk in the room, because I haven't seen grandma in probably four or five years. And, and they moved her out of a house into a residence because she was going to die. They put her on hospice. <laughs> I just wonder if every once in a while my grandma falls asleep at night laughing, because she just, she is, she is determined, I'm going to make it till Jesus comes. <laughs> so she's not planning on going anywhere. When my grandpa retired after 40 years at Ford, they moved to Rome, Georgia, and both of them worked in a Christian bookstore for the next 10 years. <clears throat> Not ever really retiring. She loves the Lord. She loves the Lord. Uh, 
the picture next to her, and I, I think I have another one, don't I, of, of, of Grandma, maybe that's a little better, is of my Grandma Pearl, um, and uh, maybe not. Do I have one, Elaine? No, that's the other one. All right, you can go back to the other one then. Yeah, that's, that's my Grandma Pearl. That's Grandma Walker. She's, uh, she's incredible. She, she died at uh, 92 um, and uh, she was by my grandpa's side when he started Calvary Baptist Church in Monrovia, California. She was by his side when he came here to be a youth director and then become a pastor, and then she worked by his side right here. Um, grandpa is not grandpa without grandma. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. I don't mean it even in a, a grandparenting way. I just mean everything that he accomplished. He doesn't accomplish any of it without her. Um, and then you can go to the next picture there. This, this is the beautiful family shot. <laughs> he, I think I'm going to grow the mustache back. Um, so uh, that, of course, is dad and me and my brother just a few years ago. My, my brother and I, <laughs> we're a mess. We've, uh, <clears throat> we'll, we'll never achieve what dad did. Uh, it's just impossible. But I do think we'll die trying. And whatever good comes of the two of us, Remember I told you a couple weeks ago that um, if you've got a problem, you know, if I have a problem with Jim and Louise and, and Tamara and Roger, uh, then maybe it's not their problem. Maybe the problem is me, right? Who's the common denominator? <laughs> Jim, Louise, Roger? No, me. I'm the common. So I have a, if I have a problem with them, maybe the problem is me. Wouldn't the same thing be true in reverse? So if there's a common denominator up there for what all three of those guys accomplish, whatever it is, the common denominator is mom. <laughs> it's mom. And, and some of the things that I get, characteristics, there's no doubt, you know, I watched, I watched my dad preach for so many years that sometimes I kind of, I slip into dad. I even tell you when that happens, right? Oop, I got to come back to me. <laughs> I watched his characteristics, but the truth is, mom taught us so many lessons that when we were growing up, because dad was, dad was gone. Dad was, he was busy. When I was a little boy, dad be gone four or five nights a week, and then we would go with him. But you have to understand, it's kind of weird. My, my parents just, they just kind of said, this this be the greatest night of your life. Friday night, you get to go to church and hear your dad preach, and you get to stand up on a piano bench and sing a song with your mom. And it was never like, you know, you're going to do this. It was always, you get to. And then when it was over, <laughs> we got to go out and eat. <laughs> oh, man. There's always nothing better than coming to church. Nothing better than life revolving around. Mom taught those lessons. Mom had to 
dress us. Get us dressed up for church. Get us dressed up for dad's crusades. Mom taught us how to behave. Mom, mom instilled those lessons. I, I'm, I'm glad that I got some things from my mom and not my dad. And I, I was telling Tamara, I was looking at the calendar, and don't worry, okay? Don't be concerned. I'm fully vaccinated. <clears throat> For those of you that are concerned, and my time period has actually gone past the two weeks even, so I'm good to go. Uh, and for those of you that don't believe in the vax, well, you don't care anyhow. So um, I'm fine, but I'm, I told her, I said, I'm, I'm going to be gone in the next 30 days. I'm gone like 22. I'm traveling. I got that from mom. Dad, dad. If dad couldn't get there by car, dad didn't want to go. Mom loves to travel. I got that from her. It's interesting that the common denominator is mom. And so much of what each of us, what we get, what we grab a hold of, comes from mom. Listen, moms, you have such an incredible gift. You have such an incredible opportunity because you make a huge difference. Now, dads, you're not off the hook, okay? Most of you know, in the years that I've been pastoring, I don't a lot of times land on like a Mother's Day message. But I figured if I'm going to do it for Mother's Day, I better do it for Father's Day, okay? So your day's coming. <laughs> but moms, for you today, what an incredible opportunity. Challenging? Yeah. These are challenging days. But you know what one of the dear ladies of the Bible said in the Old Testament? Her name was Esther, and she said, for such a time as this, I'm here. That's you, Mom. That's you, Grandma. Paul puts pretty pretty heavy-duty importance on the role of grandmas. How awesome if you have that opportunity. A legacy of faith. Introduce your kids, your grandkids to Jesus. Instruct your children, your grandchildren in God's worth and instill in them an ever-increasing faith. I, I don't, I don't like to use names, okay, and then we're done, we're done, but I will guarantee you, I guarantee you that Joe Gardner's faith today is greater than it was 20, 30 years ago. Increase it, I guarantee you that Penny Panther's faith is greater today than it was when she walked down the aisle with Roger. And that gets instilled into the next generation. And there's something about it coming from mom, from grandma, that makes such a difference. I, you know what? I almost forgot this. I'm not going to, I won't, 
I won't read the whole thing, so don't worry. But I found this yesterday while I was looking for stuff, preparing for this message. It's dated July 19th, 1999. 1999. <laughs> that is such a long time ago now. Scary. My dear grandson Billy, it has occurred to me regarding our very brief conversation about the possibility of your becoming a minister of a gospel that lest I not be here at such time as you consider it seriously or make a decision, I should make some comments about it now. <laughs> My grandma did not lack for comments. You know, of course, that the very first requisite is that you have received a calling from God. Only you'll know if you have without it Anything you could do would be futile and disappointing. If you have already or do receive one, anything else you attempt will be unsatisfactory. <laughs> These things which I write are not well thought out, nor are they organized, but I think worth considering. And I, I won't read it all to you, but it's interesting. She said, to be a good minister, you must be prepared. You've had a college education, but it is based on your major in music. That will be an asset, but it's not enough. <laughs> Grandma would be proud that I finally got that master's degree. Oh. She says, read, 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 read. Ask your father for his favorites. Uh, acquire a library. There will be criticism. Expect it and do not answer it. A minister should be humble, compassionate, forgiving at others what he would not forgive in himself. Be prepared to be compensated less than other professional men. Be prepared to make sacrifices. Your people will expect you to be on a 24-hour-a-day schedule. They will even expect extraordinary things of your wife. Then they will expect your children to be perfect. <laughs> uh, actually, the people of Calvary have been pretty good in that regard. In your busy schedule, do not neglect your wife and children since they're your primary responsibilities. Make time for them. Remember that it is not oratory, you'll love this, Roger, it is not oratory, clever antidotes, funny jokes, but only God's word which saves men and helps believers to grow in wisdom and in knowledge. In spite of the casual attire which is so common these days, my advice is to dress like a man of God. Never make yourself a clown, <laughs> nor appear ridiculous. <laughs> Well, you'll have to tell me if I dress the clown part. I don't know, every once in a while. Take care of yourself, your body as well as your mind. Remember the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Always speak well of your wife and your mother. God is good to you in that they're Christians. And she carries on. And she ends it this way. Although a true servant of God would choose no other life, it's not an easy life with possibly very few exceptions. Your great reward will be the crown which our Lord gives for service. It's the crown of glory, 1 Peter 5.4. Well, I'm sure that your father and mother could add many more bits of advice as perhaps I could also, but this will be a start. What I do, I do quickly, for we all know that our days are numbered. And who knows even if I will have remembrance to speak of these things to you. I love you dearly. <laughs> and pray that you will know God's leading in whatever you do. So with my love and prayers grandma. She could have signed it Lois. <laughs> because she is so much like what Paul talked about. You have that opportunity, moms, grandmas. You say, well, man, I haven't really, don't worry about it. And that's the awesome thing about God. Forget what has been. Look towards what can be.
And just determine that from now on, you are going to be that mom, you're going to be that grandma. Because you do make a difference. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Father, I thank you today for our moms. <clears throat> Comically, we can say we wouldn't be here without them, <laughs> which is true. But it's so much more than that. And we thank you, Lord, that we get to celebrate them on this day. But we pray, Lord, that our appreciation for them would not just be something that happens today, but that we would take a lifetime to give them thanks for what they have introduced, instilled, and imparted into our lives. Lord, bless the moms that are here today. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them not just today, but I pray that you'd bless them and bless the grandmoms, grandmas that are here as well. May they realize the importance of the life that they live and that they lead and the legacy that they have the opportunity to leave behind. It is an awesome thing. We thank you for them, and we thank you for meeting with us here today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.